0: Of Jeremiah chapter 13, I will weep for you. Jeremiah 13, verse 1, starting verse 1. The Lord said, get a linen sash, put it around your waist, but don't put it in water. And I got a sash, and according to the word of the Lord, and put it around my waist. And the Lord said, take the sash, and arise, and go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in the hole in, a ro- in the rock. And I went and hid it by the Euphrates, as the Lord said. Now, uh, the, uh, Jeremiah was a, a, um, a Levite, and so he was among the priesthood, and so part of his dress was to have a linen sash, and so God tells him to go and get a linen sash, so no doubt, obviously, one other than the one that he had, uh, or had been using, to go get another one, and he goes and gets it, puts it around his waist, wraps himself in it, and he tells him, don't put it in water and uh, it wouldn't make much sense to not put it in water before you put it on, right? Of course, you wouldn't do that. But it seems to mean that don't wash it, right? Don't, even after you wear it, and after you wear it a week, after you wear it two weeks, after you wear it for a while, don't put it in water. Don't wash it. Let it get dirty. Let it get soiled. And the type of soiling that might very well could get, uh, no doubt the sweat from Jeremiah himself and other type of soiling, but part of the Levite's job would be offering sacrifices in the sanctuary. And so he very well could get uh, blood on the sash. Um, and so don't wash it, don't put it in the water, don't uh, cleanse it. Uh, and so he does as the Lord says. And the Lord said, take the sash and arise and go to the Euphrates. Uh, and through the scriptures this, this phrase, Euphrates, even other places in Jeremiah, is obviously the Euphrates River. right, um, And so I looked that up to see how far that was. I was curious, how far did God ask him to go from Jerusalem to the Euphrates River uh, in this section where there'd be rocks, would be a uh, northern portion? And um, one writer said it was about 250 miles. And so I thought, yeah, that's quite a, a ways. Um, but interesting, in looking at that, uh, it also said that, but the greatest or the most uh, intelligent, I forget exactly where, but the most something uh, scholars, um, most reputable scholars said they don't believe that he actually went to the Euphrates River. And they gave their lists of why they didn't believe he went, it was too far, and so maybe it was just a vision and he was just experiencing that in his in his mind and uh, he didn't actually have to go. And um, And then they tried to come up with other words, that word, maybe if you changed a couple words, it letters in the word, it it, it would mean really Bethlehem, um, and so maybe he just went to Bethlehem, which is just like three miles um, to, from Jerusalem, and so uh, you know they kind of poo-poo the idea that that God would actually ask him to go that far, and I guess I'm not smart enough to be a scholar uh, to think that that uh, way through, but. Uh, <laughs> If God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, certainly he could ask uh, Jeremiah to go to the Euphrates. And certainly if he can ask Abraham to go from the Ur of the Chaldees to to Canaan, uh, he could ask Jeremiah to go to um, the Euphrates. And so I believe God sent him on a 250-mile journey to prove an illustration, especially since that's where um, the children of Israel were taken, and Judah is going to be taken uh, to those areas uh, in that area as captive. And that's the whole purpose, as we'll see here in a minute. So he goes there and he hides this sash in a rock there at the Euphrates, which, and again, Jeremiah prophesied for a long time, right? It's 50 something chapters, uh, and he covers what, like four kings or something like that. He outlives four kings. Uh, so he, he lived and prophesied for quite some time. So so a journey, even if it took him a while, and that was one of their arguments, it would take too long. Well, Jeremiah had a lot of time on his hands, I guess. Uh, you know, so, um, so he could do it in the time frame or however long it would take to go 250 miles and, and come back. Plus, we're going to see that word, Euphrates, uh, used four, I think, times in, in this passage. So even if there was a typo, even if someone wrote it wrong and it really meant Bethlehem or something like that, uh, you know, to get it wrong four times... Uh, you know, would be uh, really bad uh, typos, all right? So so he goes and obediently goes, and I believe actually goes, because also the way it's written, it doesn't say I was in vision or anything like that. And usually when the Bible, you know, is talking in, in uh, symbolic terms, there are words to kind of clue us in that it's talking in symbolism. And there's nothing here to indicate that this is symbolic in any way. It's all very, very plain. The Lord said, and I went and did it as you know, exactly as the Lord said. And it just continually continues that way. And he puts it on his waist, you know, so did he make pretend he put it on his waist? Did he actually, you know, it's all pretty literal. And so we should assume it's literal. After many days, so he gets a break from his trip. After many days, the Lord said, go to the Euphrates and take the sash which I commanded you to hide there. And I went to the Euphrates and dug and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it, and there was the sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. Surprise, surprise, right? And so he had this dirty, filthy sash, or maybe blood-stained, sweaty sash, and goes and takes it and buries it there away, and, uh, and it gets all dirty and messed up and even worse, and, and uh, even though it doesn't rain much in that area, even if it rained a little bit, got even muddier, uh, you know, however it gets even more, and we don't know how long. He says, after many days... That could have been a long time. It could have been years. Who knows? But he goes and he finds it, and it's ruined. Maybe moth-eaten and all like this. Ruined, worthless, good for nothing. So again, everything written pretty literally here. So God has him do these two trips. Now we're at a thousand miles. right? That's a, that's a pretty good long walk. Two walks, right? Uh, there, back, there, back. Right? And we don't know how long a break he took there while he was at Euphrates River before he came back, but Still a lot of walking, and I believe that God, and the point I'm getting at with reading this passage, uh, besides what we get into, the explanation of why God had him do it, the symbolism, is that God sometimes calls us to do radical things. Right? And that was my point of seeing how far it was. That's was why I was going to put the sermon around, that God asked him to do this, go all the way. I knew it was far, go all the way to Euphrates. And then I have these these uh, commentators say, oh, but he didn't actually do it. <laughs> he takes the whole wind out of it. So God asks us to do sometimes radical things. To go for the symbol. He has other prophets lay on their side naked for eating food cooked on top of dung to make an illustration. And God may have us do radical things at times to get God's word to those that are perishing. And so the symbolism here Jeremiah had to, tell Noah, but no doubt had to tell people, I'm going on a journey. I'm going to have to go to the Euphrates River. God so he had to tell people what he was doing so that they would know, but also for the whole purpose of the demonstration. And so sometimes God wants us to use radical methods of getting the message to this world. And it doesn't want to hear it. It doesn't want to listen. So God's trying to use Jeremiah and getting their attention. They're not listening to Jeremiah. He's been talking for some time. They're ridiculing him and, 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 and not accepting the word of the Lord. So God has him go, I believe, as the scripture says, all the way to the Euphrates and back with this simple demonstration. Then God explains in the word of the Lord, verse 8, the word of the Lord said, in this manner, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts, very dangerous to follow the dictates of your heart. God condemns them for doing that. Because as we've read in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who follow the dictates of their heart. Don't follow the dictates of your heart. Follow the dictates of God's word. And they walk after other gods to serve them and worship them. They shall be like this sass, which is profitable for nothing. All right, so they're following the dictates and refusing to hear God. We shut ourselves off from God. We refuse to hear him. And he tries to speak to us in so many ways. The sunrise, the sunset, the stars at night, the wind, the trees, the breeze. Our hearts pumping. So many ways God tries to get our attention that he exists, that he is the Lord, that he is the creator of all, that we exist because of him. In him we breathe and live and have our being. we, We refuse to hear his words. We refuse to hear of his love. We refuse to read the written word. We refuse the conviction that comes upon our heart. And then the next step is we follow the dictates of our own hearts. So we refuse to listen to God. We shut him off. And then we have no other God to listen to except our own God, our own self-God. We become God. We obey the dictates of our heart. We make ourselves out to be God's. And we say, well, God really didn't mean that. He really didn't mean for Jeremiah. Jeremiah said that, you really don't want me to go to Euphrates. That's a long walk. I'd rather just kind of sit at home tonight, and I'm just going to sit back for a while, and like it here, it's not easier. He could have obeyed. He could have refused to hear God. He could have obeyed the dictates of his heart, his own reasoning. This is what God must have meant. I could bury it here. This is just as good here. We got Don't we have rocks in Jerusalem? Don't we have rocks, you know, around here that I can find some hole to dig this thing into? We can justify God's word and, and, and replace it and excuse it away as well. And then find some justification for doing so. And then the next step, as we refuse to hear God and then replace it with our own thoughts and our own ways, making our own, ourselves our own God, creating our own word, our own commandments, according to the dictates of our carnal heart that is lazy, despicable, pride, selfish, greedy. And then we walk after other gods. We then walk according to however we want. And then we're open to obey whatever winds come our way. Sorry, an interesting video, uh they They had this secret camera in this office, and they had all these people in this office, and this next person came in and every so often there was this beep in the room and everyone stood up and there were two people that weren't part of the that weren't on the inn right So everyone stood up, and these two people separate people they kind of looked at them that was weird yeah. and then they just sat back down, a few minutes go by, beep, and they all get up again, and they look at them again, third time beep. This time, the the girl kind of slowly gets up with them and then sits back down when they all sit down. Another beep, they all get up, she gets up right with them. The guy thinks this is crazy. You can see from the expression on his face, they're all nuts. But sure enough, after a few beeps, he starts getting up with them as well. And now they're all getting up at the beeps. And then every so time, people get called into the office, whatever they were there for, and one by one, they leave but everyone else still beeping and going up and down. And eventually, she's the last one there in the room. And there's a beep. She's the only one there. And she gets up, obedient to the beep. She's been trained. She sits down, beep, gets up. And then a new person comes in the room. And he sits down, and there's a beep. And she gets up. And she tells the other guy to get up. He says, why? She says, I don't know, but everybody else was doing it. And she sits down. Beep. She gets up. He gets up also. And she trains someone else to follow the beeps. And then we walk. After the other gods. When we reject God, when we reject His Word, say it's too hard, too difficult, too this too unbelievable, try and spiritualize what is plain, we end up leaving ourselves open for every lie of the devil. Because when we reject God's word, then our ears are open to Satan's voice. That's what Adam and Eve did. Eve began to justify, began to push out what God had said and left herself open to listening to the serpent and then walking and obeying and doing. And we're no better. We're no better. We're no better than that lady in the office or the guy that followed her or the next person that followed him. No better than Eve unless we are in tune with the word of God and listening to him and him only and being obedient to him. As the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise and for glory but they would not hear. Oh, the love of God, that he wraps us around himself, and that he wraps his arms around us, that he draws us close to him, as close as could possibly be. And he wants us to be his children. He loves us with an everlasting love. Right, there's a song, No Orphans with God. Right, he calls us his children, his beloved. He loves us as much as he loves himself. He loves us as much as he loves his own son. He gave his only begotten son for us. And Yeshua gave himself for us. Not only did Abraham, leave your Chaldees and come all the way to Canaan. Not only did Jonah eventually go all the way to Nineveh with some encouragement and a ride halfway there. And not only do I believe Jeremiah went, but the scriptures say, God left heaven and came down to this earth you and me and that's a whole lot further than 250 miles and if he was willing to do that for us there's nothing that he can ask of us that would be too much he loves us he wants us to become his people that they may become my people for renown for praise and for glory. That's what God wants to do for us. That's the way God wants to elevate us. Now, Jeremiah had it tough. Jeremiah got beaten, and Jeremiah got rejected, and Jeremiah got thrown into pits, and we're going to read all that. Not tonight. (laughs) But still, 2,500 years, we're still reading about Jeremiah. Jeremiah has a book in the Bible under his name. And we're reading and learning from his words. And because of Jeremiah, there will be people in heaven. But the people he wrote about, most of them, we don't even know their names. And most of them, if we knew their names, we wouldn't want to know their names. So while he had it rough here, he became God's people, God's person, for renown, for praise, and for glory. And Jeremiah has eternity With the Lord. And so God will fulfill his promise. God's plan. God's desire. For those that hear his voice. Those that listen to his voice. That he will make us. Behold what manner of love. The father has given unto us. That we. Might become. Sons and daughters of God. His people. For renown, for praise, and for glory. If we will only hear, if we will only heed, if we will only surrender, if we will only accept what he has already done in our behalf. What a wonderful God we have. Who loves us that much is willing to go the extra 250 miles and much more for us. The Lord God of Israel says, every bottle will be filled, verse 12, still Jeremiah 13, every bottle will be filled with wine. I will fill everyone, even the kings, the Kohenim, the prophets in all Jerusalem with drunkenness. I will dash them against each other even fathers and the sons together, I will not pity nor spare nor have mercy, but I will destroy. God's word is clear. If we reject him, if we turn from him, if we join the enemy's ranks, we become an enemy of God. And eventually he will give us time He will give us a long leash. He will give us lots of opportunities. He'll give us lots of chances. He will demonstrate his love in many, many ways to try and draw us back and try and get us back to him. But if we persistently and consistently reject him and refuse, eventually, He will not have pity, nor spare, nor have mercy, but he will destroy. And I'm hearing a lot of people rewriting the word of God. Well, my God would never do anything like that. God is too nice to do that. God is too merciful and God is too loving to do that. What kind of a God would say something like that? What kind of a God would do things like that? What kind of a God would command something like that? What kind of a God would ask that of his people? Well, the everlasting God. The true God. The living God. The God who knows better than we do. And if he knows it's better to destroy those who have received Satan's heart and Satan's mind, he knows what's best. But we've got these people today that want to rewrite the Bible, recreate God in some fanciful image which is nothing but a lie. God is merciful. God is very long-suffering much more long-suffering and much more merciful and much more loving than these people who want to make him out to be that way (laughs) and much more tolerant than they are. What is the lie of the devil to try and make God into something that he's not? And it's all to self-appease that they can continue to live in their sin and self-excuse themselves. And even to the point of denying God, that God will somehow still allow them to have eternal life. The word of God is pretty plain. He will do it. God tells us, do not be proud. Or Jeremiah, now do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. Well, it could still be God speaking here, I don't know. Verse 16, give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. And while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense darkness. Strong warning, but also a strong promise that if we give glory to the Lord our God, now and here while we have life and breath and opportunity and time, if we give glory to the Lord, if we stop being so proud, stop being so selfish, stop being so self-centered, stop rewriting the Bible and accept God's word as it is and surrender to Him and become obedient to Him, we will end up giving glory to God. And if we do that, then He'll cause brightness and light and glory and praise. He will raise us up for renown, but if not, then the opposite takes place. If we don't glorify him in the here and now, if we don't acknowledge him in the here and now, it will be darkness, and there will be stumbling, and there will be no light, and there will be death, and there will be dense darkness. Adam and Eve, no doubt, justified them, excused themselves and saying, oh, God has been so good all along, I can't imagine that just this Eating this fruit from this tree would cause him to not allow us to continue to live. Boy, were they wrong. And so he continues to warn us as he did to them. May we heed his word better than they did. If you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Now I don't know if this is Jeremiah writing or the Lord speaking and Jeremiah recording what God said. But if it's Jeremiah, the only reason Jeremiah would be able to say this is because this is exactly how God feels. And Jeremiah listened and obeyed God and heard his voice and yielded himself to him and received God's heart. And so Jeremiah had God's heart. And so if this is Jeremiah speaking, then it's God's heart speaking through him. And if Jeremiah was weeping, and he is known as the weeping prophet, the book of lamentations, he's lamenting, My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. So while the Lord gives these warnings and and, and denunciations, they'll be taken captive, there'll be darkness, there'll be death, there'll be despair, deep darkness. He doesn't rejoice in that. He cries over it. He cries over those who refuse him. He cries over Lucifer's fall. He cries over Satan's actions. He cries over Adam and Eve's decision and choice. And he cries over each one of us if we reject and shut him out and refuse to listen and obey the dictates of our own hearts and walk after other gods. We do it at the expense of our own soul, but we do it at causing heartache and tears for God and for God's children. And if we are God's children, this is how we will feel. Not just Jeremiah, but all of us will feel this way. All of us will weep and cry as we see people rejecting God and turning from him. Each of us will have a burden for them that we're willing to walk 250 miles four times for them to make an illustration, if that helps. We will do whatever it takes to reach them with the eternal gospel. And we will go home and we will pray for them and we will pray with tears. Our hearts will long for them and go out to them. If you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. This world has been taken captive by Satan. God has been weeping and will continue to weep until it's all over. And even then, secretly, quietly, in some closet somewhere, while we're rejoicing in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, for eternity with God, no doubt God will still always remember his angels, and the people who rejected him. And while he'll smile with us and enjoy our company and be pleasant and pleasurable with us, I have no doubt that God will have a closet somewhere where he will go and weep in secret for eternity for those that have rejected him. And have lost eternity. And if we truly have God's heart. Our prayers will be for the lost. Our prayers and concerns will be for others. And so the reverse of what we read a few verses back. If we hear his voice. We will have his heart. And we will walk in his actions. If we hear his voice. We will have his mind and we will t- cry tears for that he tear, cries. And we will act and go and minister and to seek and to save that which is lost. We will hear him. We will obey the dictates of his heart. And we will walk in his ways and in his paths. God weeps for us. And if he weeps for us, for the wrong choices we make, then when we're in the midst of the trial and when we're in the midst of the temptation, he will do everything he can to give us victory over that, to turn us from that wickedness, to turn us from that wrong choice, to lead us in the everlasting way so that he doesn't have to weep for us. He will do everything he can To keep us from pain, because the tears he experiences is the tears that we experience. His heart beats with us. And when we're filled with guilt and remorse and shame and condemnation, there's a sadness inside. And God feels that with us cries with those that cry, and he rejoices with those that rejoice. What a loving God. Verse 18, Say to the king and to the queen, Humble yourselves, sit down, for your rule shall collapse the crown of your glory. The cities of the south shall be shut up, and no one shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it. And if you say in your heart, Why have these things come upon me? the answer will be, For the greatness of your iniquity. And so, when we're experiencing problems, the first place we should look is in prayer and allow God to search us and try us. Lord, is there anything that I have done to bring this about? Whether directly, or whether by just, maybe in some other area, by pride, selfishness, or some sin yielding to the devil that opened the door for him to harass me in this area. That's where we should start. That's not always why we experience problems and heartache here. Satan hates us and can kick us for no good reason at all. But this is where we should start. And in this case, God is telling them, Why have these things come? It's because of their sins. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to doing evil. A wonderful text, a well-often-quoted text, and rightly so. It tells us a lot about ourselves and about God. Says, can an Ethiopian change his skin? Can you change your skin color? Yeah. You can sit out in the sun for a long time and get darker. You can sit in the belly of a whale for a while and, and get lighter. But the pigmentation of our skin can't change it. Can a leopard change his spots? Can he hide himself better? Can he make himself green? Can he change his spots? No. He's a leopard. He's got spots. Neither can we do good because of our carnal nature. So, if it took becoming good in order to get us into heaven, we're never going to make it. It's an impossibility. We do evil because we are evil. We sin because we are sinners. We are proud because we are prideful. We act selfishly because we are selfish. It's how we're born. It's how we are. It's what we are. Oh, we can cover it up. We could dye our hair, put makeup on, put a coat over the leopard. We could do lots of things to try and make ourselves look differently, outwardly. But the fact remains, that is how we are, except for the grace of God. The whole gospel is that while we are this way, while we are accustomed to doing evil because we are evil, God wants us to birth us again. God wants to make us new all over again. God wants to recreate us all over again. God wants to change us. And he has the power to do so. And that is the good news. We cannot in our own strength change. Oh, we can do some behavior modification. For a time we can... Make some gradual changes, some outward changes. But really, in heart, we're still the same. Only if God takes out the evil heart. And only as we allow God to put a new heart in us. Only as we allow God to take out our mind and take all that and put it in himself. He who knew no sin... To become sin for us. That we who knew no righteousness might become the righteousness of God in him. What love. to Change places with us. And then he makes us new. It's a miracle of God. The leopard can't do it. We can't do it, but God can do it. And if we surrender to him, he makes the change. And that's the beauty of God. That's why the linen sash, he said, don't put it in water, don't wash it. Because the washing represents the regeneration, the cleansing of God. The washing away of the blood. And the making it new and white again. God can make us new. No matter our past. No matter what's in our hearts. No matter how we are. And we're all the same down under. I don't think I shared it here. I shared it in Newport. Did I share about the the skunk? Skunks? I didn't share that here. That was only in Newport. I'll share it with you. I don't want you guys to miss out on anything. You ever smell skunk, right? How many here have smelled those skunk's stink? You know, sell out the <laughs> skunk, right? Okay, right. One thing I've noticed, I've smelled skunks here in Florida. I've smelled skunks in, uh, in the Northeast. I've smelled skunks in the Northwest. I've smelled skunks in the Southwest. I've smelled skunks going through Texas. And what I've found... I don't know, skunks in Germany smell like skunks here? Same, same. same. How about Poland? They smell the same as they smell? Same, same thing? Yeah. (laughs) I never smelled a Polish skunk, but... (laughs) But they all smell the same. They all smell exactly the same. And we all smell exactly the same as well. When I worked in New York Share food with the homeless, 2,000 lunches a week, uh, and we had some locations where people came and got food. But we also had some vans that we took the food out to the streets. Big pots, big huge pots of soup, and uh, and sandwiches. Make a couple sandwiches and put a piece of fruit in the bag, and a napkin. And then we had a magazine for everyone, and then we had boxes of other literature, Bibles, and things like that. And we go out into the streets and we go look for the people. And sometimes I'd go into the subways and go down into the subways. And some subways are three stories down under the earth. And I'd go looking for them. And sometimes I could find them before I could see them. Because I could smell them. And so I'd smell them. But one thing, I, I knew there was a person there. I knew it wasn't a skunk or something else. Rotten fruit or something like that. I knew it was a person. Get used to that smell. You know the smell. But I didn't know if they were young or if they were old. I didn't know if they were Latino or if they were born in the United States, if they were white or if they were black, if they were tan, if they were red, if they were yellowish. Couldn't tell if they had dark hair or light hair or were bald. I couldn't tell if they were a native New Yorker or a Texan. Couldn't tell what their IQ was. Couldn't tell what what they were raised, what their parents were, whether they were raised in a rich family or a poor family. I couldn't tell their education level, because all humans smell exactly the same after a few days without washing. Just like all skunks smell the same when they spray their their weapon. We're all the same. We all stink the same. My dad had an expression. He'd say, uh, they think their armpits don't stink. Now, he didn't use the word armpits, but you get the idea. But we all stink. We might think we don't. But we all stink the same at bottom. We're all wicked. We're all that way. And so when we condemn sin, and when we point out sin, and when we share what the Bible says is sin, it's not that we think we're better than anyone else, because we know that there go I, except by the grace of God. And we do exactly the same sins if it wasn't for the grace of God. So it's not some self-exaltation, It's that we want to free them from the bondage that they're in. We want them to be freed from the guilt, the condemnation, the sadness, the gloom that sin brings. and Lead them to the cleansing and the everlasting arms. We want to let them know they stink. But that there's water and soap and cleansing to be had in the precious arms of Yeshua. So while we are accustomed to doing evil, And we cannot change ourselves. We can come and surrender our lives to the Lord. And he can change us so radically. and Make all things new. Verse 24, Therefore I will scatter them like stubble that passes away by the wind. Verse 27, I have seen your adulteries. Woe to you, O Jerusalem. Will you still not be made clean? Even with that sentence, will you not, will you still not be made clean? He's saying you can be made clean. The opportunity is there. The chance is there. The provision has been made. You can be made clean. Don't reject it. Don't refuse it. Don't resist it. Don't close your ears to it. Come and bask and be clean. And be made whole. And receive the glory of the Lord. Receive the goodness of the Lord. Be made clean. God wants to make that invitation for each one of us. We're all accustomed to doing evil, all of us are proud, all of us are selfish. All of us are self-centered. All of us are naturally inclined to hate God and reject God and shut our ears to God and to excuse our sins. But he invites us, come and be cleansed. Come and be renewed. Come and be changed. Give me glory. Surrender your life to me. And I will make you a people, my people, I will make you my children. I will remake you into my image. I will give you my heart. I will give you my mind. I will give you a love for the lost. I will give you tears and a hatred for sin and a love for me. I'll give you my life. I'll give you eternity. And I will make you a people of renown for glory and for praise and raise you up on high places. In everlasting arms, with everlasting life. That's our choice tonight. And so, as we pray tonight, if there's any inclination of pride in us, we think we're better than someone else or better than anyone else. We think we're too smart and too good to fall for Satan's lies. We're self-assured. If we reason away the word of God, if we excuse it or change it or try and manipulate it so that it doesn't apply to us. We try and excuse our ways. We've been resisting God's word. If we've been walking after the dictates of our own hearts, we've been walking after other gods. Maybe the God of money, maybe the God of leisure, maybe the God of pleasure, maybe the God of self, maybe the God of boasting, pride, arrogance vanity, frivolity. Whatever we've been following, let us God, let God search us and try us. Let us lead, allow him to lead us in the way everlasting. Let us let him cleanse us and wash us clean. Stop following the world. Stop following the ways of the world. Stop conforming to this world, but let us be conformed to the word of God. Let God work his life in us. Whatever area applies to you tonight, let us pray together and surrender all to him and allow him to lift us up. Humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift us up. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, thank you for your great love poured out to us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord God, for coming from heaven to earth to reach us. Thank you for providing salvation for us. Lord, unclog our ears and we ask forgiveness for rejecting you. We ask forgiveness for going in our own paths, in our own ways. Thank you for trying to make ourselves good. We want to surrender to you and allow you to transform us and make us new to change us totally, to cleanse us and renew us and live inside us and give us tears for the lost and give us a heart that is concerned for them and burdened for them and then actions to reach out to them. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.